Welcome to the Power Podcast. I'm your host, Malia Warner. Today we are discussing about right versus wrong. Did you know that how your brain thinks about right and wrong affects how you feel and how you move around in the world? This is a fascinating topic. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to episode 86, Right versus Right. Hello and welcome to the first episode of our fall series. We are resuming our 2020 theme of power perspective and for the rest of the year, these episodes will cover topics to help you change your life for the better by seeing things in a new way. This summer has been fun sharing recordings of the audio version of my book, Lies of the Magpie, as I've been working to record and get that ready and fantastic news, it is done. Yesterday, it finally was completed, finished, edited, mastered, and submitted to Audible. Yay, that is worth a victory dance for sure. Thank you, round of applause. Thank you very much. At this point, it will take 30 plus business days for it to process through Audible before it becomes available to the public. And as always, I promise I will keep you posted the moment I receive news that it is ready. I thought writing the book was challenging. I had no concept of how challenging doing an audiobook would be, especially because I do these podcasts. But an audiobook is a different entity, and I now know that I should be recording all of these podcast episodes in mono, not in stereo. And I could explain to you how to determine the average root mean square of your audio recording and why that's important for decibel levels, but I will spare you the discussion about the importance of negative 60 decibel level floor noise because we have a much more interesting and meaty topic today. I think it's interesting. I think it's fascinating, actually. We are talking about how our brains think about right and wrong and how this process in our brain causes us to feel confusion, frustration, exhaustion, low motivation, etc., etc. And the goal of today's podcast episode is that you leave with an understanding of how your brain processes right versus wrong and how that process impacts how you feel so that when you leave today's episode, you actually have a useful brain tool that you can add to your tool bag and pull out in moments of confusion to help you feel better. Feel better about yourself, your life, your people, and the situations in the world. I am currently reading an amazing book called Becoming Supernatural by Dr. Joe Disposa. I've spoken about it several times on Facebook Lives and just in conversations with people. This book has everything I love. It has diagrams and brain science, just the things I eat up. And I am learning a thing or two about what happens in our brains that make us either feel good or feel awful. So I wanna to start today by inviting you to do a quick body scan. How are you feeling? How are you feeling right now? How do you feel about the world? How do you feel about yourself? How do you feel about your place in the world? What would you say are your primary emotions? Do you primarily feel agitated, bugged, stressed, anxious, depressed, worthless? Do you feel exhausted? Do you feel low motivation? 
When we look around our world, there are a lot of gloomy emotions right now. Worry, overwhelm, helplessness, hopelessness, and how about confusion? Confusion is a negative emotion. Confusion is draining and robs our power to move forward. Think about the image of a vehicle stuck in mud or in snow, and the tires are spinning and spinning, and it doesn't matter how fast they spin, the spinning motion doesn't move the car anywhere. It just spews mud on all the innocent bystanders. Confusion keeps us stuck, spinning our wheels in a rut until we are exhausted and the innocent bystanders in our lives are splattered with our muck. Confusion does not feel good. How would your life be different if you could feel a little more calm, a bit more reassured? How would your life be different if you could have less confusion and more clarity? What if your tires could find traction on some solid ground and you could move out of your rut? Remember, the goal of all of this is to help you to feel good, to feel better than you feel right now in your life. Every feeling in the body is triggered by neurons, by thoughts. So if your body feels yucky, if you feel overall mucky, you can change how your body feels by changing what is happening in your brain. And one critical piece of work that our brains do, and they do it all day long, is making decisions about right and wrong. And we as humans are largely unaware that how our brain works through this process leads to a lot of negative emotions. And so today's power perspective is one simple shift about how the brain processes right versus wrong. You might be thinking, right versus wrong, what is there even to discuss? I mean, right is right and wrong is wrong, right? Or am I wrong? Our brains want this to be simple, clear-cut, straightforward. This is our primitive caveman brains at work doing their job to keep us safe. The primitive brain says, this cave is safe, this open field is dangerous. This plant is good, this plant is poison. These people are friends. Those people are enemies. Our brain's job is to keep us alive and conserve energy, and it does that by labeling things. And the brain is lazy because the brain's job is to conserve energy. So the brain wants the labeling job to be easy, right or wrong, safe or dangerous, good or bad, good or evil. The problem is we do not live in a primitive society. We live in a complex, modern, global world with many, many issues. And so our brains are constantly running into these conundrums of confusion, trying to label right and wrong. And this confusion is further complicated when we tie in God and religion. We think in terms of right or wrong. Everything is either good or evil. Either you are on the Lord's side or you are not. And if you're not on the Lord's side, then you're on the devil's side. And this sounds good, right? This sounds like what we're taught in church. This sounds like this is who we are and what we're meant to believe. Stand for the right, choose the right, avoid the wrong. 
The Bible says, don't kill, don't steal, don't covet, don't lust, honor your parents. It's pretty straightforward. You might even say black and white, no gray area, except when it's not. If you are human and you are breathing, you have encountered gray area in your life and your brain is confused by it. I grew up confused because it was bad in the Bible that Cain killed Abel. And in my church, we study the Bible and we study the Book of Mormon. And the Book of Mormon starts with a story of a man named Nephi, who becomes a prophet, being commanded by God to kill another man named Laban. And Nephi resisted because there's the commandment to not kill, right? And God tells Nephi, it's okay in this case. This is an exception because it's better that this one man should die because if he doesn't, then there's going to be a nation that dies. And so Nephi obeys God and kills Laban. But from a young age, I was introduced to these contradictory concepts that it's wrong to kill except when it's not. Then what about that commandment to keep the Sabbath day holy? Then here comes Jesus, who flat out breaks that commandment by healing on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees call him out on it, and he says, well, there's a higher law. So again, I'm introduced to this concept that it is bad to break the Sabbath day, except when it's not. These are the kind of scenarios that challenge us. Our brains want everything to be cut and dry, simple. And then we encounter a situation that isn't a clear right or wrong, and we get confused, and that starts a downward spiral of negative emotions. And our brains are bombarded by complexities of confusion like this on a daily basis on large and small scales. Here's a personal example that has come up for me recently. So for the past year, I have been working feverishly to get my book published. It's been exactly one year that I signed the contract with my publishing company. And the irony is, this is a book about mothering, about me being a mother, about my journey through motherhood, about the things I do as a mother. And for the past year, I have been doing a lot of activities related to being an author and hopefully being a published author, releasing a book and marketing a book and recording the audio version of the book. And my children are all rolling their eyes like, yeah, she wrote a book on mothering and she's not even mothering. And my brain hits this wall of confusion trying to grapple with what is right and what is wrong. Is it wrong for me to work on a book and have a goal to become a published author? Should I stop writing and stop working on that so I can 100% mother? Or is it wrong for me to give up the pursuit of becoming an author? Is it wrong for me to give up writing? Should I give up mothering so that I can 100% commit to becoming an author? Or is my writing a form of mothering? Is there a way to do both? I think most of us are able to see and grasp onto this concept that for most circumstances, there is not a clear right on one end of the spectrum and a clear wrong on the opposite end of the spectrum, but that the answer is found somewhere there on the spectrum. Think of our caveman family. Maybe the dark cave is not the best place to live, nor is setting up camp in the middle of the open field. Probably somewhere in the trees, they'll find their best place to live. So I think on the surface levels, most of us can understand this concept of gray area. 
But I think for most of us that we are about 90% unaware of the struggle our brain experiences on a daily basis to find our place on that spectrum. And why? Because our brain wants everything to be right or wrong. Our brain doesn't like gray area. It's not comfortable with gray area. So when our brain crashes into a conundrum of confusion and experiences this tug of war, it creates cognitive dissonance in our brains, which is an actual disruption of frequency, which interferes with brain function and triggers the release of a mass of negative emotions until we end up feeling confused and powerless, but we don't even know what we're confused about because it's all happening subconsciously, yet it causes us on the surface to yell at our loved ones, say awful things, feel like we can't get out of bed, it causes us to feel like loathsome, worthless people, or we end up putting on our boxing gloves geared for a fight, even though we're not really sure what we're fighting about. And this happens because our brain wants to easily label and place everything we encounter in our day in the right box or the wrong box. And when it's not easily able to do that, our brain kind of freaks out. The good news is that the brain is incredibly malleable. One of the brain's biggest jobs is to learn, right? And the brain is capable of learning. So just by listening to this podcast today, you are educating your brain about the way it functions and you're empowering your brain to be able to go, oh, that makes sense. And, oh, I don't have to label everything clear cut, right or wrong. Yeah, your brain is able to get that. So let's help your brain along here in the learning process by talking about three examples of things I imagine your brain has collided with and is probably still feeling confused about. So let's look at some modern day examples right from our world taken right from the newspapers. Okay, these will probably sound familiar. Number one, how about the debate that is going on right now in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic over whether or not to wear masks? Wear a mask or don't wear a mask? Which is right and which is wrong? Our brain wants to quickly label and be done. Either wearing a mask is right or wearing a mask is wrong. And then the brain wants to lump everything together with that. So everyone who wears a mask is either right or is either wrong. The other day, my neighbor stopped my son and gave him a talking to that wearing a mask was living in fear. Some people say that COVID is a conspiracy or that masks don't work. Or recently I went to a homeopathic health clinic and nobody was wearing masks because they promote building a healthy immune system. And if your immune system is healthy, then there's no need to wear a mask. So lots of people have different ideas in their brains about whether wearing a mask is right or wrong. The other side argues that it's socially responsible and respectful that Masks work in reducing the spread of contagious germs, that wearing masks is bringing down the number of COVID cases. So our brain gets all of this different information and has to wrangle with what is right and what is wrong. Now, what usually happens is that your brain picks a side and then looks for evidence to support its decision. 
And our brains love to be right, and so our brains are highly skilled at finding the evidence to prove the side that we've chosen, the side that our brain has chosen. Okay, let's look at another example. How about the matter of standing during the national anthem at sporting events? Now, if masks, if wearing or not wearing a mask seems controversial, then this question probably will be even more heated. I'm going to venture to guess that you might already have strong thoughts established about who is right and who is wrong on this issue. One side might say that Colin Kaepernick and his 49ers teammate Eric Reed were right in kneeling for the national anthem in order to call attention to social injustice. The other side might say that standing for the national anthem is non-debatable and that it's a gesture of respect for the military who fights to defend the country's freedom as well as the values that the flag stands for. So who is right and who is wrong? Now, because these are heated topics, you might be observing that right now your brain has shifted out of listening, understanding mode into defensive, arguing, evidence-sharing mode. Perhaps your brain is even creating sentences in your head to argue your point with me about why the side that your brain has chosen is correct on the issue. And I just want to pause right there, let you put the pause button on the brain as a reminder that the point of this podcast is not proving one side or the other is right or wrong. That's not what's happening here. The point of this podcast is to observe how the brain works, how it processes complicated, confusing questions that are not easily labeled as right or wrong. Already your brain's probably saying, oh, it's easy. I can see it's easy who's right and who's wrong. Just an invitation here to pause the brain, let your brain take a break, and let's look at one more example. How about let's talk the presidential election? Isn't it interesting how divided the country can be when it comes to political candidates? I kind of look around our country and think, well, I feel like we are more similar than we are different. We value our families. We really largely value the same things. So I would kind of think it would just be a no-brainer that there would be an obvious candidate. Like, it would kind of be like when you watch American Idol and you watch the auditions and you can clearly see who can sing and who can't sing. I mean, even for those of us who are not singers, we can tell what's good and what's not good. So why is this not the case with a president? How is it that one side adamantly believes that Trump is the greatest president the country has ever had, even surpassing Lincoln, while the other side believes he is of the devil, and vice versa. How is it that one side is so convinced that Biden is a hero while the other side convinced he is demon? So who is right and who is wrong? And I go right to this topic as an exercise in observing what your brain does when confronted with these complexities. 
If you're already forming arguments in your head to yell at me through the machine why one candidate is right and the other is wrong, this is exactly what I'm talking about. And I'll just remind you, the purpose of this podcast is not to prove one side or the other. It's not our job here. During this podcast, you get a free pass from having to form arguments or prove a point. This podcast is giving you a break from needing to pick a side. Doesn't that feel nice for a change? This podcast is an opportunity for you to observe the toll these social debates wreak on your body. My only hidden agenda here is to provide you a chance to see and explore how the complex world in which we live impacts your physical and mental health. And not just that, but also to show you how to get your tires turning on a solid foundation so you can dump the weight of confusion and negative emotion and move forward to your greater purpose. So here I want to share a story from scripture that I think will help us to view these modern day examples in a new light. So in my church right now, we're studying the Book of Mormon. And in the middle of the Book of Mormon, there are a lot of wars happening between two groups of people, the Nephites and the Lamanites. And our brain likes to label one side as good guys and the other side as bad guys. But when you read the whole Book of Mormon, you see that it's far more complex. There are times when the Lamanites are really nice and the Nephites are scoundrels and vice versa. So I want to just summarize in my own words a story from the middle of the Book of Mormon, and it's about a group of people that used to be Lamanites, and they were a very violent people, they killed a lot, there were a lot of murders, and then they met up with some missionaries, and they had a group change of heart. They felt bad that they had been a people quick to use the sword, and they experience a conversion, and as part of that conversion, they make a vow to never lift a sword again. And they take this vow so seriously that they bury their swords deep in the earth. Because of their vow of peace, they have to move away from the main group of the Lamanites, and they go to live by and are protected by Nephites. So now we have a mix of Nephites and Lamanites living close together. There's probably some intermarrying going on, further complicating the brain's ability to easily label and divide the Nephites from the Lamanites, the good guys from the bad guys. Years pass, fast forward, and war breaks out. And this is not a few small tribes warring against each other. This is full out nation versus nation. This is like North America fighting South America. And whole cities are conquered. Lots of blood spilled, lots of prisoners, massive destruction. It makes me think of Britain and France and Germany during World War II. And the Nephites are struggling to protect their cities, and they are running short on troops and supplies. And here, in the middle of this massive war, there's a whole city of people, there's this Switzerland, who aren't fighting. Basically, they're sitting out the war, not because they don't care, but because of this vow that they made to never touch a sword again. They didn't think to write a war escape clause in their covenant. And so now they don't know what to do. They don't know what is right and what is wrong. Is it right to keep their oath and let their countrymen die protecting them? 
Or is it right to make an exception this time, like Jesus did when he healed on the Sabbath? Was fighting in defense in this situation an okay reason to break their oath? It's a conundrum, and you can imagine the arguments on both sides. Their newspaper tablets were probably filled with editorials about who was right, who was wrong, and what should be done. Some people believe they should forsake their oath and fight, and some people believe adamantly that if they break their oath, that they will lose God's favor and God's protection in this war. So eventually, these people reach a solution, and the solution they find is they have children who were too young to make the oath, but who are now old enough, and some of them just barely old enough, to fight. And so they have these young sons go, 2,060 in total, to fight. And their young sons are a great relief and help when they join their numbers to the battalions on the field. What this makes me think about, what I have to wonder about, is did they get eggs and stones thrown at them as they marched out of town because they were breaking with their heritage and their tradition? Basically, if you think about it, as these boys gathered and marched to war, they were going against everything they had been taught and raised to believe about fighting with the sword. They had been raised to believe that taking up the sword was wrong. In fact, their parents and grandparents had felt so strongly about this that they had chosen to sit in fields and be slain rather than pick up a sword to defend their own life. So this value of peace has been ingrained to them from birth. It was their heritage, their tradition. And yet here they are armed with swords, not just armed with swords, but planning to use them. And they do. They use their swords and they kill and take many human lives. This also makes me think about their parents who stayed behind, or possibly there were boys their age who chose to keep the covenant, to keep the family tradition, and to not go to war. What happened to those families? Did neighboring Nephites march in protest down their streets, shouting obscenities about these cowards who would send their very young sons off to war, but who wouldn't go with them? Were their houses vandalized? Surely there were many able-bodied men who stayed behind because they chose their vow to keep the sword buried. What do you think? Were they heroes or cowards? Were they patriots or traitors? Who was liberal and who was conservative? Who was right and who was wrong? If we hold to the belief that there has to be a right and a wrong, that all things can only be divided two ways, into the good side and the evil side, then one of these groups has to be good and one has to be evil. Who do you believe chose right and who chose wrong? Who would you support and who would you oppose? In your conversations at work, around the water cooler, or on your Facebook feed, or at your family barbecue, who would you praise and who would you bash? Would you defend the cause of the Ammonites for staying true to their covenant, or would you call them cowards and lazy for letting others, including their own sons, defend the country for them? Would you criticize the 2,060 sons of Helaman for betraying their traditions, their upbringing, and their religion by taking up swords and going to war? 
I ask these questions not to stir up animosity, but as an exercise to let your brain think through and become aware of the complexities of human life. And now I want to propose a thought to your brains that might be a mind-blowing concept. It might be a very novel idea, but it might just be the exact tool that your brain needs to be able to navigate our complex world without having to freak out and running into cognitive dissonance and interruption of frequency and tons of confusion and negative emotion. And it is this, brains, what if there can be right and right? What if situations are not always right and wrong? What if situations are right and right? What if I can walk into a grocery store wearing my mask and not judge the non-mask wearer. Perhaps they have claustrophobia or high sensory autism and can't wear a face covering. What if they stand for strengthening the immunity pool in the population? What if my trip to the grocery store doesn't have to send me into physical heart palpitations from negative emotions because I'm able to tell my brain, I am right for wearing a mask, And they could be right for not wearing a mask and brain, chill out, calm down. Guess what? Novel new development here. We can both be right. How about standing or kneeling for the national anthem? It's interesting what's happening to athletes right now who have unwittingly become symbols of this national side choosing. People are watching each individual athlete to see, are they going to kneel or are they going to stand? And then they're going to make a decision about whether they're going to continue to like this athlete or cheer for this athlete based on whether they kneel or stand. And I thought it was interesting what Rachel Hill shared. She plays soccer for the Chicago Red Stars. And she said usually before the game, she would, you know, focus on the game, think about her role on the team and making sure she didn't let her team members down. And now she was becoming a political symbol. And she said she put a lot of thought into what she was going to do, whether she was going to kneel or whether she was going to stand. And there's a photo of her and where she is standing next to her teammates who are kneeling, but she's putting her hand on the shoulder of her teammates. And she wrote this. She said, I chose to stand because of what the flag inherently means to my military family members and me, but I 100% support my peers. Symbolically, I tried to show this with the placement of my hand on Casey's shoulder and bowing my head. I struggled, but felt that these actions showed my truth, and in the end, I wanted to remain true to myself. I also think it's interesting what Colin Kaepernick and Eric Reed, who started this whole thing back in 2016 when they knelt during the national anthem, they talked about that they wanted a way to call attention to issues of racial inequality and to police brutality, and they actually consulted with Nate Boyer, 
who is a retired Green Beret and a former NFL player. So he's been both an NFL football player and served in the military. And in talking together, they came to the conclusion to kneel rather than sit during the anthem. And they wanted to do it as a peaceful protest. And Reed said, we chose to kneel because kneeling is a respectful gesture. He said, I remember thinking that our posture was like a flag flown at half-mast to mark a tragedy. Some people regard kneeling as disrespectful to those who have died or who have been wounded in service of the United States. And I just want to share two more perspectives. This is not about proving one side or the other. This is about showing perspective and complexity and why we create chaos for our brains and in our bodies when we allow our brains to think in all or nothing terms, everything right, everything wrong. So the next perspective is from Tori Smith, a wide receiver for the Carolina Panthers. He said in an interview, I understand why people are offended by people protesting the national anthem. My father served 25 years in the military. When he dies, he's going to be wrapped in an American flag. But my dad is also out of the army and he drives trucks all over the country and he's a black man everywhere he goes. And sometimes he has racial incidents still today. That doesn't protect him just because he served our country. Troy Smith continued to say, it's our freedom to stand or kneel for causes that are important and I want to be able to do my part to help my country be better. And the last perspective comes from Isaac Johnson. He plays for, oh, I want to say the Miami Heat. I hope that's right. And he stood during the national anthem. And of course, the press gave him a lot of questioning about that. And his answer was, and he's an ordained minister, and he stands for everyone being on the side of Jesus, that Jesus is our answer. Jesus is the solution to all racial inequality and anything that goes wrong in the world. And that was what he stood for. That's what he wants to stand for. I like reading about and hearing about these different athletes' perspectives because it reminds me that we come from different situations. We have different family experiences which have formed us and formed why we value certain things. Some people might value the flag and standing for liberty and justice and freedom, and some people might stand for social equality and working to improve our country and continuing to make it better. And does that mean that one side is right and one side is wrong? Does that mean that any of those values are more important than the other? Or what if they are all right? And what if they are all good? What if, brains, it is not about right versus wrong? What if it can be right and right? What I love about the photographs of the athletes standing and kneeling and hands on each other's shoulders is that they are supporting each other in their different causes. How about in our Book of Mormon story? One side supported the cause of oath, covenant, and promise of peace, and the other side supported the cause of country, defense, protection, freedom. Is one side all right or all wrong? What if we need all sides? What if we need people to represent and advocate for all of these values, even when at times these values seem to be in contradiction with each other? What I love in the story of the Ammonites is that those who stayed home 
worked, they grew crops, they prepared supplies to send to and support the armies, and that those that went to the armies fought to defend those who stayed at home. In this way, they were doing different things. They were taking different sides, but they were actually supporting each other as they took different sides. What if that's possible for me? What if I can choose a cause and even choose a side, something that I believe it's my job to stand for and to promote, and at the same time be able to support and understand those who are standing or kneeling for different causes? What if I can continue to watch my favorite sporting events without my confused brain going into panic crisis mode because it can't easily label right or wrong or good or bad? What if the national anthem standers are right and the national anthem kneelers are also right? And what if I can watch the game without feeling animosity or hatred toward the athletes who happen to choose one way or the other? What if I can let my brain know, guess what? It can be right and right. They can be right and they can be right. It's okay. What if I can go to the ballot box this November and cast my vote, my decision, the candidate that I'm choosing, and be okay that other people are going to go mark the opposite candidate? And what if I can be okay with that? What if that means that I don't have to hate my neighbor or see them as an enemy? What if I can understand that they have things that they are right about and I have things that I am right about and we are standing for different things and we can all be right? Now, please don't misunderstand that I am saying there is no such thing as wrong or there is no such thing as evil because I absolutely believe there is good and evil, and I believe there is right and wrong, and I am going to continue to try my best to choose right, to choose the best right that I can. What I am saying is that not every situation is between good and evil and between right and wrong, and that this is where our brains get confused. And so the power principle for today is to let your brains know that not everything is right or wrong, that there are more than two boxes, that there are a lot of situations that can be right and right, and brain, that's okay. Brain, we can do that. We can make peace with that. We are amazing. Our human brains are amazing. We are capable of managing complex, seemingly contradictory situations. And our brains can do it. They don't like to, but they can. So here's a little invitation going forward, especially in the next couple of months and a heated election year, to remind ourselves that rather than getting tense and nauseated over the controversy, to remember that it's a good thing that we have multiple facets lobbying for a variety of causes. And it's not my job to be on all sides. It's also not my job to prove that my side is the only right side. I can be right, and so can you, and so can she, and so can he. And since I've already brought up plenty of religion and scripture today, let me finish with this thought. When we think of following God, we most often think in terms of 
right or wrong, good or evil. Either you're on the Lord's side or you're on the devil's side. And I want to sincerely pose the question, who says it all has to be right or wrong? Who says that? Does God say that? Does God say there is only right or wrong? It's a tricky question. Because if you start trying to answer for God, whose side he would take in issues such as wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, or whose side would God choose? Would he choose the side of those who kneel for the national anthem or those who stand for the national anthem? Or how about who would God vote for in the presidential election? If we start imposing or projecting who God would choose, that is where we get into very dangerous cognitive ground. So I pose the question again, who says there is only right or wrong? Does God say that every situation is right or wrong? That all people are either right or wrong? Or that all people are either good or evil? Does God say that? Or is it the devil that says all people are either good or evil, right or wrong? What if God doesn't take sides? What if God's goal is to redeem all humankind? What if it is God's belief that there is good and evil, good and bad, right and wrong within each of us, and God embraces all of that anyway? What if God is on both sides? What if God is on all of our sides? Because I think that. I think that God is on your side. I think God is on my side. What if it's not all or nothing? What if it's yes and yes? Because when it comes to our crazy, complicated world, I wonder what would happen if we spent less time trying to prove right and wrong and spent more time looking for right and right. This is Malia Warner. I hope this podcast message gave you power to change your perspective in order to find more peace and clarity and forward momentum in your life. Have a great week, my friends. I'll meet you back here next time for another episode of The Power Podcast. Until then, bye-bye.